Hey guys, welcome back to Silicon Street, a podcast on venture capital, technology, and entrepreneurship geared towards college students and young professionals. If you're new to the podcast, go ahead and follow us on Spotify and LinkedIn, and definitely check out all of our existing episodes. Our guest today is Johannes Burgard. Johannes is an MD and founder at Solidic, a software company focused on creating the necessary systems to, to decentralize and make solar energy grid more efficient. To date, Solidic has connected over 100,000 solar photovoltaic systems in over 60 countries, and has only been around for four years to do that. Johannes also holds an MBA from Asade Business School in Barcelona, Spain. Johannes, welcome to the show. How's everything going for you? Well, thanks for having me. Um, it's great to be here. Awesome. So, you know, I, I just gave a, a little background and it's awesome to have another Hill School alumnus on the show. Um, and but before we get into Solidic, can you start by just kind of giving everyone some more background on yourself and your career? Yeah, sure. Um, well, my background is actually in engineering um, back then. So I studied mechanical engineering on uh, to do the master's degree. And um, after working in the industry in corporate environment for a couple of years as um, project engineer and pushing automation and robotics, I, um, well, I did a full-time MBA at Isada in Spain, and afterwards I founded Solutic. So um, it's always been very project-based, and running a business or starting a business for sure is, um, is something quite, or well, was quite new to me, but um, I could leverage a couple of my experiences before. Yeah, and, and so what was the, how did that decision kind of to get into entrepreneurship come around? Was it from your experience in the corporate world, or, or what exactly led you to, to do that? Well, yeah, you, <laughs> when you work in corporate for a couple of years and it's not like part of your nature to, to yeah. be in those, um, uh, in, well, in those structures, I guess um, it pushes you out of it at some point. But no, honestly, um, I, I had a lot of touch points before um, starting my own company for the first time uh, with entrepreneurship and uh, peers and friends who have, uh, has, have started their own companies. And the last push um, came through the MBA. So two weeks in the MBA, I um, focused everything I had um, basically on entrepreneurship and starting my own company afterwards. Perfect. So uh, I'd be love to talk a little bit about the kind of origin story or, or of sorts for, for Solidic. Um, you know, when did you kind of first come up with the idea? It sounds like it was in, in your in MBA. Um, and, and was there any sort of story or epiphany that you can share with anyone about its conception? Maybe some friend you talked to and, and kind of got the idea rolling? You know, during the MBA, um, during innovation class, in fact, um, I did a little project with a classmate from India and we were looking into the potential of smart microgrids. And back then, it was in 2016, you couldn't really find anything um, yeah. regarding batteries, storage, uh, smart microgrids. We found actually two articles, one from India, one from New York, um, where we found something about it. Um, so we looked a little bit into it and uh, found a couple of potentials we thought um, that were of course, in a very high level, but um, exploring the opportunities within photovoltaics, de decentralized energy grids. And um, yeah, and that, that was just a huge potential we saw. And, and this was for myself, I mean, that was basically the beginning. Um, a year later, at the end of my MBA, I met a company builder based in Berlin, um, which was exploring this space um, together with a utility from Sweden. And um, that was kind of the, the matchmaking I needed. I mean, it, was, it was a coincidence in some way. Um, but that was the perfect environment to start a company like this. Awesome. And, and could you give a little bit of background? So, so you kind of gave that background. Could you tell us exactly what Solidic is, like what you guys do? What, what's the, the friction in the market that you guys are trying to solve? 
Yeah, when you when you look at um, at the solar market in general, so renewables is, is one thing, but you have very different technologies. So from water, wind, um, sun, there's there's a lot of potential, and everything is in 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 a, in a way is part of the solution. Uh, when you look at photovoltaic specifically, you can see that you know it's it's a very very modular technology. So uh, you can put it on a rooftop, but you can also put it in the desert in a huge field. So this, this leaves you with a couple of challenges when it comes to um, managing these assets. And when you look into the solutions of today, they're typically focusing on the large scale. So the big farms in the desert. Um, mm. and, and you find really sophisticated solutions out there. When you look into the decentralized environment, however, there are typically not that great solutions. And this is part, partially because um, in the past, many companies um, have been building uh, their solutions with profit in first place. And that was based in these projects. When you look into the decentralized environment, there are no projects. It has to be scalable from scratch. So um, the, the PV assets were highly subsidized in all countries, basically. So um, PV in, in decentralized or residential space uh, was growing based on subsidies. So high margins everywhere and, um, and nobody has the need for maintenance. Now, when it comes to maintaining small assets you, with small margins at the end of the day, um, you need to take a completely different approach. So what we wanted to bring to the market is answering the question, how good is good? So you look at the PV data and you understand right away whether your asset is performing and is on target or not. And this has not been established before. It has not been established until today. And uh, this is basically where, how we started. And today, um, Salutic is... is bringing you complete um, solution suite um, from monitoring, analytics, marketplace, so basically the solution itself, um, and automating this assessment of your asset so you have it fast on your fingertips. And so who, who, is, who does this help exactly in terms of kind of the monitoring of the assets? Is it like the, the people who, who, um, who own the, the solar panels or is it kind of the people where it's placed like what what, what exactly is who's the end user yeah you have to um well the, the customer so who's paying for it is most of the time the asset owner so who invested in the pv plant um who wants the asset to perform well over 20 25 years so mm -hmm. it's very much in their interest that there's nothing happening that they don't recognize they want it to perform well on an operational basis um our typical users are the operator operators themselves. So technical asset management, um, operations and maintenance providers. They, um, they want a lean solution that doesn't take too much of their time during the assessment and they can go right into the fixing. And, um, and this is basically um, the, the use case number one. Um, but there's so much more behind it and that's the, the, fun, the fun part about what we, what we do. Um, while optimizing the operational processes and the workflows, uh, we learn a lot about the technology and then we get, we get this insight about the technology. So which components, which manufacturers are working best in which environment? So how could we leverage this when we build new PV plants? How can we leverage this for insurance companies, for financing companies, um, and basically um, mitigate the risk better in future than we did in the past? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And, and so is that are those kind of avenues that you're currently exploring kind of other segments of the business or is it so is it currently just what you described and then all these other things are kind of auxiliary things you're looking at or is that something you guys are actively implementing 
yeah, this is this is the stuff we're actually doing right at this point. Like we are not making revenues with everything yet. Um, so the um, the SaaS product we have commercially um, on on the market at this point is uh, is the monitoring solution and a marketplace. So we are adding this analytics layer now, step by step, and we are also um, building up the insight. Um, but something that um, Alex mentioned at the beginning, we have connected more than 100,000 assets already. In fact, it's 128, I think now. So um, it's going up and, and this data gives us a, us a lot of insight. And um, uh, when, when, you, when you pursue a platform strategy like we do, you of course need to grow first and everything else comes afterwards. Johannes, I want to follow, ask one follow-up on, on kind of the, <clears throat> the use case, right? When you, when you reference these decentralized plants, how big are they generally in terms of, you know, maybe kilowatt hours and, or, or those, that, type of, uh, that type of metric? How, how big are they? How many panels are there generally? And, is it in, and where is this kind of decentralized market? Yeah, PV is, <laughs> when, you, when you talk to people from the utility space, they consider PV in general as decentralized because you have many assets instead of one big power plant. Um, but what we, what we are focusing on is everything below five megawatts of capacity. So in general, you can, uh, one megawatt is producing one gigawatt hour per year, roughly, and depending on where you are, um, of course, but uh, like when you, when you look into residential, you typically have something between five to 10 um, kilowatt peak. Um, that's the capacity and one kilowatt peak is producing one ki 1000 kilowatt hours per year, depending on where you are. Like that's an average in Germany. The more, uh, the closer you get to the equator, the, the bigger the number becomes. Gotcha. And, and so that's great background on kind of the technology. Um, but you guys have obviously had pretty strong market penetration, which is awesome. Um, what do you think has kind of enabled the company to grow so rapidly? Is it operations? Is it the products? Is it sales? A little bit of everything. What, what do you think is like the key ingredient? Yeah, well, so what's, what's the special sauce? Um, <laughs> you know, we, we started out um, already with, uh, with a corporate in our, our shareholder table. So um, that gave us certainly some leverage when we were talking B2B. So um, we were working with aggregators and this is, this is giving us the leverage to grow that fast. Um, so we're working with, um, with manufacturers and with aggregators. So um, portfolio managers um, and, and, and yeah, other companies that grow and we grow with them. So um, acquiring, uh, acquiring growth potential basically gives us the leverage to, to grow this fast. Okay, great. And, and so kind of through this, this process of, of rapid growth and expansion, um, you know, what have you learned about kind of the original structure of the company and, and what kind of, what are the, some of the changes that you guys have made over time as you've experienced different challenges? Yeah. You know, when you start, um, typically the team is small. So we started um, being two founders and a company builder being like the shareholders of the company. Um, back then we had, uh, well, quickly two interns, one employee, um, we grew the founding team to three before we, we raised the capital with a comp with a corporate and like, like actually we kind of started building the business in January, 2018 with, um, after raising 3 million from button and, um, and that's basically the, well, that's, that's the, the starting point when, um, when you, when you're more than three people. Um, and you, you need to become organized in some way because you cannot talk to everyone all the time. Um, the structure is changing basically every month. 
uh, you know, people come, people, people go. That's the normal course of, of time. But um, we are now 35 people and um, there are these typical thresholds. So more than three, um, I would claim, you know, more than 10 is, is a cultural change and, and more than 20, 25 is a cultural change. You all of a sudden you start having actually a middle management in a way. You have the founders and not everyone else, but you have founders and like team speakers or team leaders and, um, and, and then um, uh, the entire crew. So um, these, these changes you have to go through for sure. And that is always um, challenging um, when, you, when it comes to organization. And then uh, a year ago, right after we, uh, we raised the next capital round, we um, started with a lockdown. Um, yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Um, so of course your, your company changes and the structure changes and everything is uh, a little bit different. For us, um, and that's kind of a fun fact, uh, we were apparently so digital before, um, like switching to home office took us about one hour uh, and everything was set <laughs> because we were already ready to go. Everybody had laptops. Uh, we were using um, yeah, Slack and, uh, and, and the G Suite and Microsoft and whatever already. Uh, we've been onboarding customers through um, screen sharing from day one. Wow. So the pandemic was definitely good for us because now everybody knows how to use Zoom and Google Meet and Teams and, you know, all the platforms. Um, in the beginning, we had to help the people to to sign up <laughs> and log in. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm, I'm curious, Johannes, that that's clearly you guys were ahead of the curve on, on the, the digital revolution in terms of, you know, working from home. How did you deal with, or what were the kind of strategies that, that you guys dealt with as a, as a, as founders and as a company, when you hit those, <clears throat> those inflection points, <clears throat> sorry, of, you know, 10 people, <clears throat> 25 people, what, what were the strategies you guys used to, to help trying to create cohesion and, and, and not have things change dramatically for the, for the, your employees that are already there? Was there, are there any stories or anything you can talk about on that front? Well, we kind of hired from um, in the first place already um, in the idea that, or with the idea that you um, um, that you bring senior people on board and you build the team around the senior people. Yeah. So you don't want you don't want um, people to you don't want to hire people early on um, that will not um, like um, climb up the, the ladder within the company uh, once you grow. So you that's I guess that's. Um, you could call it common sense, but you could also call it strategy. Uh, you don't want to frustrate yeah. people because they cannot grow within the company and develop themselves. So we always um, uh, were in, in open discussions with our employees. So if we saw the need to hire someone more senior so they couldn't become the senior, um, we try to still make it happen that the, that, the personal, that the people have personal growth and that they maybe change their career path or evolve it at least to some extent within Zulutik. Um very few times we actually could manage to to build a potential roadmap basically for the people that is interesting and it's very attractive to them. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's a tough, it's a tough to, uh, kind of process to, to go through, but it sounds like you guys have a good formula down with your with the hiring, it's very important. Um, so, so, you know, to move on to maybe more hypothetical kind of question, looking forward in terms of the, I know you talked about this kind of smart, these smart microgrids in your role there, would, would you say that Solidic and maybe other similar platforms that eventually arise are going to be an integral part of the development of a, of a global smart grid, which is something that people talk about a lot, but is obviously super difficult in practice to, to implement? Yeah, you know, smart grids, um, I, well, 
in fact, I, I would claim that we are already on a good way to get there in, in general. Um, the European grid is quite smart. Um, I mean, many countries working together on one grid and it's very few outages. I think that is um, already quite, it must be quite intelligent. Um, the, the idea, of course, of a smart um, grid in, in a sense that you have prosumers um, and decentralized is something completely different. And um, I personally believe in decentralized structures when it comes to these things. Um, you know, you don't want to risk that um, some central intelligence could, could break it all. And transcontinentally, I'm not sure. Um, but when it comes to smartening up the grid and smartening up this entire infrastructure, I think that Zolidic is an absolute essential part of it because um, of what I also mentioned earlier, um, Zolidic is, is basically giving a lot of insight to the operators and managing um, top performance on a daily basis. And when you want to be capable of, um, of managing this grid, um, well, automatically, uh, you, you need to have that insight up front so you, you want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and I'm curious, so what does ideally like the smart grid look like for you? And we, we've also had a few other guests on where like cybersecurity and the smart grid have come up. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious if you could provide any insight into what you think uh, should happen with regards to kind of the cybersecurity there, because I think uh, it, it clearly presents a um, pretty strong place for you know um bad people to to hack right <laughs> um, yes it could definitely create a lot of uh a lot of issues for a lot of people so i'm just curious what your perspective is on that yeah that's exactly why um you know in, in fact solutic at this point um we're only reading data we are not writing so it's it's not a two-way um communication with the with the assets simply because of this um, as mentioned, we are monitoring more than 120,000 assets at this point. If we would have control over these assets and someone would actually attack Zulutic, they could potentially attack 120,000 um, mm. assets. So this is something, th this is a risk we are very aware of. So we are taking big measures to, to avoid this. Um, it's just something that, um, that, of course, would come along when you have one centralized smart grid. So mm. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of having... Um, you know, having competition. <laughs> I'm a big fan of competition. So <laughs> yeah. um, the, the idea, is, for me, the ideal is that you have competitors who do talk to one another. So you can have certain standards, but you must have, um, you must like interfaces. Um, they, they, they communicate together, they work together, but they're not the same. So not having one single um, intelligence that is operating the entire thing, but rather having um, a lot of different solutions out there that can cooperate have defined and standardized interfaces so it is still working well and um, so you can kind of leverage or you can kind of um, counter this risk of a single attack could destroy the entire thing yeah and, and so to move on from the smart grid specifically to, to more just kind of solar generally um, you know, there's a lot of tailwind in solar right now, huge investments being made in the US, Europe, everywhere, uh, Asia. Um, <clears throat> you know, given your experience in the industry, I'd love to get your thoughts on when you really see kind of the battery technology coming around to, to, to really make solar capable of, of providing energy, uh, electricity to, to, you know, to a more, on a more 
consistent basis so to really kind of smooth out that curve so instead of you just getting it in the day you know you can provide you store your access in the day give it at night that type of stuff how, how do you see that coming along and then and then what's solidic kind of doing in response to that well we, we don't have to respond and we are part of it um so that's sure. the good thing um <laughs> we we have um so when it comes to battery um it, 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 i would kind of um well, pivot the wording a little bit to storage. Sure. Um, and when we talk about storage, we have different technologies in place. So we can have um, the, the typical battery storage, of course, which is um, pushed a lot by some companies and they are quite famous ones also from the US. But um, there are also other solutions like um, chemical energy storage, so hydrogen. Um, hydrogen can, you know, when, when, and then we have um, a sectoral connection between um, PV and also wind. Um, I mean, the, the Biden administration is now pushing a lot for wind, um, offshore wind, where you can produce huge amounts of um, electricity and then you have to transport this electricity. So um, to bring this um, towards the, the, um, the central states of, of, well, the mainland of, of the US, for example, um, hydrogen would be a nice way but um, more interesting is to transform this hydrogen into um, methane and transport that because it's less dangerous and that's, it, it's better to transport and you can burn it right away in actually machines that you have already in place. Um, and this is giving you a huge leverage also not just day and night, but also summer and winter. And, um, and there, are, you know, there are many, many solutions out there. Um, and this all has to play along. This all has to work together um, as smoothly as possible. Um, our, our part in this is basically we, we focus on the PV part at this point. We're monitoring batteries as well already, um, especially in the residential space. It's very common now that um, when, you, um, when you install a PV plant on your rooftop, you definitely want a battery already in place. Um, so you can have, um, well, that you can use as much of the energy as possible um, by yourself because the feed-in tariff is not that attractive anymore. So you don't want to feed it in. You want to use it yourself and save um, well, and, and, and save the, the, the amount of electricity that you actually pull from the grid. Um, and, and this is something you can optimize with um, the solutions like Solutic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess that explains it kind of. Yeah, yeah, that's a great explanation for that. And, and so I, I'm curious, you said, you know, Solutic is really focused on PV at the moment, not to give away anything, you know, too confidential. Um, how does Solutic plan to kind of capitalize on this growing um, market in, in renewables in both wind and, and solar together. Um, and is there anything in your strategy that, that that's going to need to change? Or is it kind of, we're going to keep operating as we're going and just grow as, as, as the market grows? Fair. Um, <laughs> well, the, um, the focus of Solutic is the decentralized market. So what we don't want to do is um, lose focus and um, get distracted by the, the huge potential that's everywhere at this point. I mean, um, the, the energy transition is huge and the, the potential connected to it as well. But there are really good players which are focusing on the utilities sector and they're doing a really good job. They have beautiful solutions um, which are very sophisticated and, and up to speed. This is something we don't want to try to hustle. Um, like, like we, do, we don't try to catch them. We try to fill some white space in the market that is the decentralized energy um, environment of, of the potentially in future smart prosumer smart microgrids um, or smart prosumer grids. Um, and uh, what, what we want to 
provide here is, is always focusing on the technical operations and maintenance aspects. So optimizing decentralized energy workflows, optimizing the production part with PV. But um, as we just discussed, there are many other technologies connected to it in a way or in one way or the other. So either through storage, but also the consumption. And there are many different aspects that are very interesting in this. Also looking at e-mobility where our monitoring solution can provide a lot more um, than just um, watching the production. But our focus is decentral energy and uh, our focus is um, the operations basically around technical maintenance. And, and to wrap up here, so we'd like to kind of end things with um, just asking you about generally your entrepreneurship journey. If there's anything valuable you want to share about kind of what's something you you wish you knew kind of before starting, because I think uh, I think most people learn a lot along the way <laughs> of founding a company. So if there's anything along those lines, we'd, we'd love to hear what what your thoughts are. And th th this is like one of the best questions, I think, um, always to to get prepared, <laughs> like listen, listening to people who have done it, um, like what is the takeaway, the big one? Mm. Honestly, I, I can, I think I can claim that I was really well prepared to, by, like by doing an MBA full-time and focusing on entrepreneurship during this because I had mm. the pleasure to and the honor to, to talk to so many different um, entrepreneurs, which um, prepared me, I think, quite well. But something that was so true um, and I think is very undervalued and underestimated by most like be prepared for the pain. Um, mm. When you start a company, it's um, most likely, and it can be a, a journey of joy, but um, most likely it's going to be a very painful experience um, because you're hustling every day, um, most of the time, every night, um, every, like every day of the week, especially. Um, and even though it's fulfilling and it's, it's really cool to see it grow and, and succeed at some point, um, it's a hustle. So um, try to not get overwhelmed by, um, by the complexity that is hitting you. Always um, take, um, try to take a look from above. Um, something that I think prepared me quite well and I, I'm still practicing it is this um, stoicism. I think that's a really good way to, um, to just tackle these things. Um, be aware of the worst and uh, prepare for it. So whatever happens is basically just an improvement of the worst case. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. I love that mindset. Um, so that kind of wraps up the questions we have, but we like to do like a really quick ending where we have five rapid fire questions, like 10, 15 second answers. They're more fun, not really related to your business. Um, okay. All right, great. So yeah. we'll jump into the first one. Uh, what book are you reading right now or what's one that you'd recommend? <laughs> I'm not reading any book right now, but um, um, uh, the value of appreciation is what I read last. And I, I, I think that's like, it's about empathy. It's about um, appreciation of, of, of people around you. So I can highly right. recommend something like this. Uh, what's a skill you're trying to develop right now? Or maybe what's an area that you want to learn more about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's there's so much um um yeah and stay calm always mm. um like the the role of being the ceo i think is something i still have to grow into um i like i don't have to be the firefighter in first row every single time sure um 
that's on my yeah. bucket list. Yeah, of course. Um, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments in your industry? Are there any like news sources that you recommend um, that people read? Or reading, learning more? Yeah, re reading the news from different continents, like like mm. not just reading your your domestic stuff, but actually checking out um, the big um, news broadcasts, whatever from around the globe. So get different different perspectives all the time. Yeah. Who is your favorite uh, CEO, either current or past? Maybe someone that you admire. Uh, you probably won't know him, um, Dr. Werner Müller. Uh, he is uh, he he built basically the concept of Evonik. I don't know if you well, likely you don't know it. It's it's a company from from Western Germany um, in the chemistry business. Um, um, but the context around it is super super interesting. So if you want to check it out, you know it's the the main sponsor of Borussia Dortmund. The soccer club, um, hmm. worth looking into. Yeah, definitely. And finally, if you could start a company in any other industry, which would you choose? Maybe why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, um, you know, Solidic was really on, on top on top of my list. I mean, I, I did this was was something I really believed in back then and still do. So um, uh, this this is a dream coming true. Nonetheless, um, something I would really love to do is, uh, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of the German middle stand, yeah, Deutscher Mittelstand is, is the name. It's kind of like um, the SMB business area, um, which is super strong in Germany. And you have a couple of regions um, in Northern Westphalia where really strong companies have been evolving over many, many years. And the entire digitalization and globalization is something that is um, a huge challenge for them. So. Mm. Um, leveraging my experience in this space of digitalization and helping these companies to um, to grow and and foster I think this is something I would love to do as well all right everybody that concludes our episode with Johannes from Solidic as always if you have any questions or would like to reach out to Connor or I for any reason our emails are on our website siliconstreetmedia.com please make sure to check out our last episode on funding female founders in fintech and stay tuned for the next one